Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Bonafide Meadow Show. I'm your host, Joe Fleming, also known on Instagram as So Tall Right Now. We are now heading into week five of the show. Pretty crazy um, to think we've been doing this now for almost five full weeks. Um, it's been so much fun having all these people on the show, um, getting to hang out with everyone, and so glad that you guys can all join in and chat with us. And in some weird way, I still feel like we're all connected. Um, so on tonight's episode, uh, episode 13, we have a good friend of ours, Matt Sneiman. Um, Him and his wife did a uh, around-the-world trip on their motorcycles um, back in 2015, I believe. They were gone for a couple years. And he's going to tell us a bit about that around the world trip that he had. On Wednesday night this week, we have Henry Crew, another round the world person. He is a world record holder for being the youngest person to circumnavigate the world on a motorcycle. So um, he's going to be on Wednesday night. And on Friday night, we have Cam Elkins, who is a director and producer based in Sydney, Australia. He owns a, or his show that he does is uh, called Stories of Bike. You can look it up on YouTube. Um, what I love about him is that he does um, the videos that he does focus on the person and the story behind that person and not about the bike so much. Um, so really looking forward to chatting with him on Friday. Um, uh, if you do have questions, please let us know. You can hit the button down below, and I'm happy to ask those questions during the show. Um, without further ado, I'm going to jump in with Matt, and he can tell us a little bit about his trip around the world. Connecting. Yes. Yes. He's in the What's up? <laughs> <laughs> I was. Uh, I was just saying. Um, I'm hoping that you do the show in your garage. Yeah. Kids. <laughs> <laughs> I've sort of been, you know, quarantined to the garage for this. Oh, <laughs> well, can you, uh, is your, is your phone movable? Can you pick it up and show us your garage or not? Really? Um, I'll try. Oh, it doesn't have to be perfect. So Matt has a very clean garage. It's like a whole room um, outside of the garage. Um, for those that are going to listen on the podcast, you can't see, but very clean, tidy, some uh, <laughs> looks like some luggage boxes from the trip. Yep, that's exactly yeah. what they are. Yeah, and um, Matt, what what happened to your beard? Did it? Uh, did you lose it during the lockdown? That, well, funny enough, we all had to shave our beards for uh, COVID at the hospital for the masks. Uh, so it even it even fucked up my beard. That's how that's how bad this thing is. I'm very sorry for your loss. I'm very sorry for your loss. So, and, and and Matt, what kind of what kind of doctor are you? So, so I'm busy specializing in urology, which is dick medicine. It's not only dick medicine; it's also <laughs> kidneys, ureters, bladders, and balls. Okay. okay, so anything around the male genitalia is your yeah. main focus. That's it, man. Wow. So you've seen a lot of dicks. A lot of dicks, man, would be an understatement. <laughs> better, better man than me. <laughs> Matt, so um, I'm really excited to have you on the show because we, you and I have spent a lot of time um, on the road together, but I don't think you and I have ever like really had a chance to sit down and talk about your trip. Like you've mentioned it a few times, but we've never really dove into it. And I'm, I'm grateful that we haven't because now we've got an hour to, to hear yeah. about your trip. Cool. So, that's, yeah, so dude, when when did your trip start and what made you and Meg want to get away and go ride around the world? Well, I mean, funnily enough, it sort of started, um, it started, the discussion started when we were sort of finishing Varsity um, between me, Meg, and a couple of friends. And it was, initially, it was going to be like a four by four trip through Africa with a bunch of mates and Meg was like, no, she really wants to come along, you know, and I was like, oh, fuck, man, you know, it's meant to be a boys thing, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so eventually, you know, everybody drops out, and um, I started getting more into motorbikes, and then 
Um, and then we decided to, to do it on bikes and what a good decision it was. And um, so, and instead of Africa, we started in um, South America because, um, you know, we, we've been traveling in Africa a bit and we thought, you know, what's sort of a really foreign place to us, to, to a South African, you know, and it's, it's very difficult and it's very expensive to get to South America as a South African. And um, it's just a really different culture. And that's what we, what was the sort of the vibe we wanted was to immerse ourselves in something really different. Yeah. And um, like, how long did it take you guys to plan this trip? Like, like you, you guys like, cool, I want to go around the world. Like, where do we start? How do we do this? Like, how, what was that prep like? You know, it's, it's, it's funny because even in your prep, you go through quite an evolution. And it was exactly like Kingsley said a while ago, like the, the best preparation is as little as possible, in my opinion as well. And when, when you don't know and you're green and you haven't really done a lot, you, you tend to over plan everything, you know. So we planned, we planned way too much. I mean, we were like looking at routes and, you know, in the beginning, we, we had this whole plan. Um, obviously, you can only plan so much when it's such a long trip, but you, you realize as soon as we started on the road, like the, just, the plan just went to shit within about probably three days, you know, um, and you, you, you go as you go. It's the best way to do it because on the way you'll, you'll meet people and they'll say, you can't miss this. You have to check this out and you divert accordingly. And that's, um, that's the way to do it. And, and you have to explore. So if you, if you're curious, you go and check it out and that's the only way to do it. So the best planning is no planning. We often most 90% of the time didn't even know where we were going to sleep. Uh, in that town sometimes we didn't even know which town we were going to sleep in we just thought see how far we get and uh, hopefully there's a petrol station and mm. we'll when we get to the town we'll go look around for somewhere to stay and um, the plan always materializes and like where do you do you do you have like a hack or was there ever like a sign or, or a key thing that was like okay cool this is this seems like a great place to stay like it sounds like you guys Obviously, you were gone for a year, and 90% yeah. of the time, two years, yeah. and 90% of the time, you didn't make a plan as to where to stay. Like, yeah. did you guys win a lot? Did you lose a lot on, like, places you stayed? Like, what was, what was the shittiest place that you guys ended up staying at? Well, there was, there was, um, there was a lot of wins. There was more wins than losses, to be honest. Cool. But, I mean, we had some – Jesus, we had some dodgy places, man. I mean, the one – the one place which was really bad, I think the, one of the worst places we stayed at was, I left the accommodation up to Meg. It was, a, it was a terrible idea. She wanted to surprise me, bless her heart, and it was a surprise. So she got us a, a place that was meant to be quite nice in a really nice university town in Chile, but there were so many, it was so dirty, and there were so many bed bugs that we actually had to set up our tent in the room and sleep inside the tent with all the stuff zipped up just because of all the bugs in the room, you know? <laughs> so that, that, that was one of the, the worst places we slept in. And funnily enough, when you describe some of the normal good places you sleep in, some other people get really worried. So for example, in Africa, one of the, one of the best places to stay are, it's like, I lost him. Can you guys hear me? Looks like Matt froze. Can you guys see me? Sorry. Matt, you there? So, sorry, man. So, yeah, so, so they've got these places that, you know, you can rent a room with a prosy for the night. Okay. And um, generally those places, when you, when you rock up there, we put up our tent in the parking lot and um, there's activity. There's guys watching the place all the time. People are friendly. So it's actually quite safe and quite a cool place to stay. So um, you, you learn these sort of little like hacks um, as well. So it was, it was quite interesting, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I've stayed in some places um, that are really like dodgy, dodgy places to stay. And I'm like, I'm taking my sleeping bag. I'm sleeping in my yeah. sleeping bag. I'm sleeping on the sheets. At least I know like I'm safe in my sleeping bag. And, totally. you know, I, I haven't gone somewhere and been like, no, I'll just sleep in my tent. But yeah. <laughs> um, plenty of times I've been like, nope, I'll take my, I'll, I'll take my, 
the classic hooker jack. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah. It was quite an and, adjustment uh, for us, actually, like staying with places. One of the biggest adjustments for us is, I don't know if it's for South Africans or for everybody in general, but for us was to um, basically stay with, with people that we didn't know at all that sort of approached us in the street and said, come and stay with me. Um, and, you know, at home before that, you're very reserved with something like that, you know, in your day-to-day -day life. You're like, I don't know this person. And suddenly you get some stranger going, come and stay at my house. And um, it's, it's bizarre how much that happens. And before the trip, I don't think um, myself, like I don't, before the trip, I don't know. I don't think I would have offered somebody like, yeah, come and crash on my couch, you know? Yeah. I mean, now it happens all the damn time and sometimes yeah, I can't get rid of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's great, man. Um, and that was one of the biggest adjustments. Um, and you mentioned, um, uh, like, just before the show, I was doing some research and or looking up uh, your YouTube channel. So for those that uh, are listening, you can go on to YouTube and type in Great World Trek. And Matt and Meg have some videos that they did from the trip. And yeah. what I found in there was that um, a lot of times it wasn't just you and Meg. You guys yeah, had totally. other people joining you. Like, did you meet them on the road? Were they people that totally. you met before the trip? Like, how did that work out? So that's one of the, the most beautiful things. And um, something also that you realize on the road. And obviously, if you travel as a small, small group, the smaller, the better, the more people you meet. And mm -hmm. when you leave on a trip like that, you thought of, in the back of your mind, you think you're going to the moon. You know, so there's no one there. You're not going to know anyone. And, you know, you can't buy. You have to take everything you need with you. Yeah. And, and, and on the way, you meet so many people who are like-minded. And you just say, oh, I'm going to this town. Oh, is it cool? You know, and you, you sort of think, okay, cool. Well, then they're like, let's go. Let's go together, you know. Because sort of yeah. also if something breaks down, especially with a motorcycle. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's safety in numbers. And <laughs> I, I find like with a motorbike, it also makes it easier because... It's always a face-to-face -face interaction. Everyone's on their own bike. You're not like couples yeah. in cars, or so. It was a, it was especially popular in um, South America and Central America. A lot of guys on motorbikes, um, so it was really nice to to meet people. And we've stayed friends forever. Guys who've never been to Africa have come to visit and stay with us here. Um, in Africa, it was a bit of a different story. We did meet people, but it's very very sparse so 90 percent of the time um meg and i were completely on our own wow. so africa is far more of a lonely sort of uh, trip to do yeah i could see that i mean africa is so vast so like it would make sense that you don't really encounter a lot of people but in places like you know in peru and uh, and throughout south america it seems to be a little bit more populated and a lot and it seems to be uh, a place that more people will go and ride their motorcycles to. I often hear yeah. about people wanting to go to South America, starting in Patagonia and then going up. Yeah. Um, and and how did you how did you guys finance the trip? So yeah, that's a that's a really um, common question that gets asked. Yeah. Right? So you know, there's a lot of people that say, "Oh, you don't need money to travel, and you know, you can make money on the road." And you know, my advice is to everyone is that it's that is like the hard truth is that's bullshit. Yeah. And you know, if you, if you have your mindset, some people do travel around the world and they travel and they say, look, I, I traveled the world and I only spend $1. It sort of also means you're an asshole. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you took advantage of people, people paid for you to travel and you also went through countries and added nothing to their economy. You know, you didn't. So, I mean, for us, it was a lot of hard, saving for two or three years beforehand i mean we lived like paupers before the trip right. and then while on the trip we were poor again and yeah. um and you, you know do some things on the trip like we did earn money for you know we did some sort of some travel journalism and um you know sold photos and this sort of thing which is great but um at the end of the day that is that is beer money and yeah. um sponsorship wise we were very lucky we got a lot of sponsors and um, the, the thing about the sponsors is it's, it's also people think it's money, but it's not. It's product. Yeah. And um, the products often when you get sponsored a product, you end up putting more work into it than what the sponsorship is actually worth. Yeah, and after doing the trip, I, I look more 
look way more um, carefully at taking a sponsorship, um, you know, yeah. be before before doing. Yeah, that. in um, in the beginning, before we like before Bonafide Motoka was something we had, like very I had very like loose sponsors, and um, it it does like when someone's giving you product and like cool i'll take photos in exchange it does become a lot of work and you're like yeah this is really worth it um yeah and, and that's why it's 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 good when you have like um great synergies and great partnerships where you're like Definitely. okay cool. i'm willing to make the time for this brand because they've helped me out outside of the products that they've given me they've helped 100%. me out a lot and i'll go out of my way to help them as well Hundred hundred percent, man. And we've made so many really good, um, good friends like that as well. That are that were sponsors, and we just worked together so well that um, it's just a pleasure to support one another. Um, the other thing is with sponsors that when you when you're doing a trip like this, like like I said, it's quite expensive. When you're paying so much for a trip, it is your trip, and you know after a while, like if you have to stop every half an hour and take photos of like your i don't know like your boots or your yeah. helmet or like it becomes like you know you need to be present in your trip and you need to enjoy your trip um yeah. and that's some of the times in our in our trip as well that we we thought i'm not taking any photos i'm not taking a video of this like this is just for me yeah you know, like yeah, I'm and i want yeah. to be present now you know and um and speaking of photos um, you, I, I saw in one of the video clips that it looked like a camera, a camera lens broke or something. Yeah. Maybe that you guys dropped a camera. Like what, what happened there? So and what was that? This was, yeah, it's quite an interesting story. It's in, it's in one of our videos. So we were riding through this place called Canyon del Pato in, uh, in Peru. And it's, um, it's basically, I think it's, I think it's something like, I think it's 30 dirt tunnels all in a all all like one way so you can only fit one car through it's all dirt road and they're carved out of the side of the mountain with a massive drop off on the side so you don't really know if there's a car coming through so everyone is like quite a, <laughs> a stressful experience yeah but um such a cool ride amazing and we were going through this and, and stopped on the side of the road to take some photos down the canyon um meg put a kickstand out but then it got on a, I don't know what happened. It got on a rock or something and it slipped and her bike went the other way. And she sort of threw the bike over because the bike was going towards the drop off. Um, she landed up having to be pulled off over the bike and she lost the camera over the side because she thought I'd rather lose my camera than me go over the side. Sure. So um, we had to help her up, try and get the bike up. And then um, Martin, the guy we were traveling with, uh, I sort of climbed down and he held a, a tow rope and I tried to get down all the way to the, the river and I felt super bad about this. I mean, like Canon have been one of the most amazing sponsors to us. Amazing. And we dropped this like beautiful, expensive camera and just smashed it to shit. And I was, I felt so bad. I mean, like we like were risking our lives to try and get this thing, you know? Yeah. I was, I was terrified to tell him and we got it back up. The lens was smashed to shit. The body was 100%. We've still got it at home. Works perfectly. But um, they were so nice that they managed to find where we were going to and organized a replacement lens plus one more, um, wow. you know, an extra one in a tiny town where we, were go where we were going to. So they meet you along the way and just help you out with your camera kit. So super, wow. super cool. You know, I have heard that... Um from various people who are like uh, Canon ambassadors or, or Canon pro ambassadors, whatever it is. And they say they will do anything to make sure you've got a lens and they'll, they'll sort it out, which is yeah. as a photographer, um, you know, we, we go to remote places. We go to places where if you lose a camera on day <laughs> two of a trip and you're there for two, three weeks, no, you're uh, done. You, you're, you are done. Like <laughs> I often think about that when, when I was in India, uh, I think it was like day three or four, we we were riding through this private reserve and we were, we were going down the mountain and it was quite bumpy. And I stopped to take a photo and I noticed that the shutter, it like just went black. I was like, oh, okay. So I took off the lens, put it back on, took it off, turned it on, turned it off, nothing. 
nothing. And yeah. I was like, guys, I think my camera is screwed. And I was like, I got an idea. Dude, I grabbed the camera and I went. <laughs> I turned it off, turned it on. Right back in the pool. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's go. Let's keep going. So That's incredible. I was very, very uh, thankful that it worked because, I mean, I had a backup camera. It's this um, X100. Uh, it's my backup uh, camera. Oh, yeah. It's like it does. It's only a 23 mil. And I was like, man, what if I have to take photos of my camera the whole or my my, my phone the whole time? But um, luckily, it worked quite well. Yeah. And I was very thankful. I actually <laughs> forgot about that in, until now. Um, I can still see the turn where I was with the village when I was freaking out. Um, <laughs> and um, and Matt, you like you you mentioned to me before that you stayed at some crazy places. And one time, I think you mentioned something about uh, maybe it was Colombia, a drug lord's house, or oh. something like that. What's yeah, what that, happened? That's that's a that's a crazy story. So that was actually in Peru. Um, so how it turns out is we um, we met Martin right before this, the same guy that we traveled with for a while, one of my very close friends. And um, we met a, another guy that he had been traveling with previously, and then by chance, another English guy. So there were there was me, Meg, and, and three other guys. So there were five of us. And um, we were all in Cusco and, you know, we drinking and out for curry the one night. And um, the German guy, Mitch, uh, sort of brought up, he's, he said, you know, there's this, there's this part in Peru, the Selvas, which is like the jungle, which has been... Um, basically out of bounds um, because of a terrorist group called the Shining Path. And um, they're really gnarly, not friendly characters. And it was previously, it was like a war zone. So no in, no out. It was, you know, no one was allowed in or out. It was just yeah. the military. It was very serious. So about two years, I think it was two years or a year before that, then they made it from like, I think it's like a black zone to a red zone or something. Um, which basically meant you can travel through, but it's not recommended and there's a heavy military presence and it's very dangerous, whatever. So Mitch said, guys, you know, like we all can't stand tourists and backpackers and fucking like we were up to here in Cusco. I mean, you know what it's like. It's just tourism, tourism, yeah. tourism, you know. So you wanted some authenticity. So, we, you know, like let's go, let's go into the middle of nowhere they haven't seen you know outsiders for i think it was 21 years they hadn't seen an outsider had been blocked off so we thought let's do it let's go into this area right so yeah. we um went out we first went to machu picchu and then from there it sort of started out into the jungle um we went through this jungle and i mean i can't so there's a, i mean there's a lot to the story but eventually we landed up um at a very tiny little town in the middle of the jungle called um what was it? San, and San Andreas? I think it was San Andreas. And, um, and it was, it was so small and no one had been there in 21 years. It was like, they, they couldn't believe that we were there. So, you know, there were guys were, I mean, they were bringing us, their tuk-tuks to ride around the plaza and bringing us stick insects from the middle of the jungle just to show oh, us. The kids came oh. out of school. The whole plaza was full of people just because we were there and like, Kids were asking for oh San Francisco, thanks, boss. <laughs> so, so everyone. Was I did sort of, hear that in the video. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So kids are like asking for our autographs and like just bizarre, man. They asked Megan to write out the Lord's Prayer in English, you know. So it was a huge commotion, and eventually, um, because of this commotion, one of the guys noticed on the side and called this other dude called Guillermo. And um, now everyone in this area is like super, super rural dirt dirt poor there's nothing fancy going on there right. um and guillermo rocks up in like quite a big new four by four and speaks beautiful english educated in the states and he's super smooth politician smooth um and he says to us okay guys you know um you know big welcome introducing us to everybody he says you it just takes over the whole thing he says you've got to come stay at my finca you know which is like a farm um and it's on one of the tributaries into the Amazon. Um, so, you know, we, we like to just say yes to everything we can when we travel. So everyone is like, okay, cool. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Um, and now one of the, one of the 
rules. So we're going to follow him through the jungle to do this on these dirt, mud roads, really bad roads. And um, one of the rules with this whole area and the shining path is whatever you do under no circumstances do you travel at night. Like absolute no-no, big, big no-no. They take everything. They, they're very, very bad. So we're following this dude now into the jungle, five of us, and very slippery mud. And it's all on the side of, uh, you know, you've got a road running on the side of a, of a cliff, you know. So, mm. And it's getting dark now. And one of the trucks that had used this road had sort of uh, fallen off one side of the road and it's blocking the road. No one can get past. So now we were sort of at a quandary. Um, this is also a video. It's called The Rumble in the Jungle, if you want to have a look. Uh, I saw that. But um, so, so we had to discussion about, like, do we carry on with this? Like, he says, yeah. like, Guillermo says we can follow him. Like, even he's shit scared. And now... You know, like, do we follow him? Do we go back to San Francisco and try and find the backpackers? Or, you know, and we eventually heard, you know, they're making food for us. And, they're, and we're like, okay, cool. <laughs> Let's take shots, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. So, we all followed him. And it eventually got absolutely pitch dark. We were doing sort of, you know, small little river crossings and mud. Just following yeah. brake lights in, in front of you. is absolute pitch darkness. Um, eventually, we get to the the gate to this to this place um and it's uh we go through the boom and, and as soon as we go through the boom um it's got like really really high grass sort of like that lemongrass sort of stuff but it's like very high so you're riding down this little corridor we're one behind the other with guillermo in front and um eventually the stuff sort of clears um and there's low grass and like we all suddenly everybody stops and and I like look to my one side and I see this white sandbag bunker with an airstrip down the one side and then I'm thinking what the hell is going on I look to the other side there's another bunker and then everybody just starts screaming and like all these guys jump out in camo with machine guns pointing it at us and screaming at us in Spanish suddenly you don't know how to speak Spanish anymore because yeah, you've know, you, you soiled your trousers so, yeah. so so he's like everyone is screaming, pointing weapons at us and everything. And um, Guillermo has to get up and say, like, he gets out of his car and says, no, they're with me, they're with me, they're with me. And everybody sort of calms down and uh, like let into the compound. And um, yeah, that's, we stayed there for, geez, I don't know, hey? I think nearly a week we stayed there. Wow. Yeah, and it was um, the most beautiful place. It was, I mean, it was an absolute paradise. Oh, wow. it, was, it was so beautiful. Um, you know, we were told they grew cacao on the, on the farm that's guarded by the military with an airstrip, but you know, we won't go there. So, yeah. um, so then he, you know, it was all these meals were just given to us for free all the time. And, you know, whenever we stay somewhere, we, you know, we want to contribute. So we'll cook meals or we'll pay for groceries or, right. you know, however we can. And we sort of try to, you know, like pay for food or, like do meals and they just would not hear about it like day after day like absolutely would not hear about it you know um until one day where where we tried to offer and uh guillermo said no 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 no. you don't have to pay me anything it's really fine but you can do me a favor and i thought now now's where now's this like my alarm bells i'm gonna be putting something in my over a border you or something, you know? little bag. <laughs> a little bag you know? so, so like i mean what can you say at this point so we're like okay what's the favor you know so he says okay now you just take my pickup over there and um um go with about two or three of you guys and then my guys are going to get in the back and you drive to the nearest town they're going to get out they're going to do something and then you lift them back that's the favor and we were like oh, fuck. okay all right you know now so we just thought hey, we just thought we'd own it, you know. So we're not going to be these uh, scared little gringos. So we decided, fuck this! Like we're going to drive this like possible drug dealer's car, and we're just going to we're just going to drink while driving. We're going to smoke. We're going to we bought some machetes in town. We just walked around like we owned the yeah. place. You know? like, just own it, you know. <laughs> so so <laughs> we, we did that. And, yeah, man, you know, like don't fuck with me. So. <laughs> Yeah, we did that. We got our machetes and everything. Guys climbed in the back and we drove back and then we left the very next day. <laughs> wow. And so so it worked out in the end, yeah. Were you listening to hip-hop on the way into town? Like, 
trying to be gangster. We actually might have been. We actually might have been. (laughs) I don't know what it was, man. We need some Snoop, man. We need some Snoop. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) And was um was was that uh, was that time in the jungle? Is that like one of the craziest things that happened on the trip? Yeah, it was. I mean. It was a really, it was out of the whole trip that really stands out as one of the most special experiences because it was just, you really feel like you're in there, you know? I mean, we, we, you go through a tiny little town and by town, I mean, maybe four buildings, maybe four buildings. There's an abandoned school and you stay there and, you know, that was also on that trip and there's just nothing, you know? Everyone is just amazed to see you and, um, I mean, we had some problems on the way. The one guy was on a, a completely unmodified Triumph Bonneville, um, and he had never been on dirt before in his whole life, and he decides to go straight into the Amazon. So he had a shredded fuel filter and everything, and you know, now you're having to deal with this stuff with no cell phone reception, no spares, no, like nothing. You know, you have to deal with it all on your own. So it was a really, really nice, um, you know, authentic experience. You know, you want the easy, but you want the hard as well. Yeah, you so do. It's, yeah, um, so it's real character easy, building stuff. It was lacquer. Yeah, easy is boring. If, yeah, if man. something doesn't go wrong, it's, it's a boring trip. You're like, yeah, it was totally. cool. I had a great time. Weather was good. But yeah. when, when things go bad, you're like, dude, we got like, like when, yeah. when Alan and I went to Swaziland just before lockdown, like we took a little sunset ride. And just at the last stretch, Scott gets a flat tire. Luckily, <laughs> I, was, I had a, my small backpack. I brought water, um, I don't know what I brought, water, something else. And then Al was like, dude, let's take the tire weld just in case. Yeah. yeah. Dude, had he not said that, that would have screwed us up. We we were within walking distance of the place. But yeah. that one decision to take the tire weld saved us two hours. Yeah. I mean, you learn was, those you learn those little things, man. And and like, um, that's why, I mean, any, anybody who rides with us will know, like, I always even if i do a small ride on the mm. on the adventure bike like i always have a toolkit with yeah. certain things because it all, shit always goes wrong and then like you know you just want those few things and definitely and what what do you what so when when you go on a trip um outside of your toolkit like what are five things or a few things that you always have with you on a on a trip let's say like a weekend trip um Okay, so I mean, with regards to a toolkit, um, I'll always have, you know, and guys have brought this up with me before. Um, I, I have a compressor on me to pump a tire. Um, I have bombs as well. Um, you know, guys have I've come under sort of fire for having both. But, you know, when you're two kilometers or five kilometers outside a town and you've got a flat tire, Mm. you really want to take the whole thing apart in the rain and the dark five kilometers you just bomb it and go to the town and then fix it there so that's why i carry both so i always carry some in a fixed tires um what else do i carry eh? jeez i don't know man yeah i think oh i always carry a fuel pump um like a spare fuel pump a spare fuel pump they cost like they cost like probably a hundred bucks and it's um and and if that goes like you in the shit and it costs a hundred rand and it's easy to replace so i always carry a spare one of those it's, it's not big um and i carry there's something else that i always carry. oh yes for the bmw i carry a ring antenna which okay. is it goes around the key plug so that your key recognizes the bike you know okay so if if that's not there and your immobilizer doesn't want you to go. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> uh, okay. And it's okay, also cool. it's it's also really cheap. And um, you know, one one thing I I, I should have asked sort of in the beginning, but um, what bikes did you take? As well, I saw you took BMWs. Yeah. What was yeah. your choice there, and how did they perform um, on the trip? Okay, so they were actually fantastic bikes. We still have both of them. I still use them on every uh, bonafide trip. They are. They're magic, magic bikes. I really, really love them. You know, our thinking at the beginning of the trip was, um, you you know, and obviously you're green when you make these decisions. And like I Mm. thought, okay, I need a big adventure bike, um, which in (laughs) retrospect is not, is not essential. No, Um, not at all. I mean, like 
I think a, a, for if you're going to do dirt um, on a big trip, I think a 1200GS is massive overkill. You Too never much. need that amount of power. You don't need that amount of weight. Um, the reason why I didn't go smaller was because, you know, we're not only doing dirt roads. We were going to, um, we spent quite a lot of time in the States where you're going to take some big highways and I don't really like want to be overtaken by an 18 wheeler on a 250cc. It's going to stress me the fuck out. You know? yeah. So I also wanted to, to nice, like to be able to go fast on the tar and um, carry some weight. Um, so we, we got 800s. They, um, they were sort of, I think, the right bikes for us. Meg could handle it. I could handle it. We're both quite tall, so they weren't, uh, weren't too much of a problem. And they were very, very reliable. Yeah, and it's got the same setup. The, the engine is a dirt bike engine. Okay. So, and it's all very exposed. So it's actually yeah. very easy to work with. The clutch is in the same place. And that's what you want. Dirt bike, the water pump, all of this. Yeah. And how did, how did Meg do on the trip? Like when it came to technical sections, like how did she perform on the bike? You know, um, she performed very, very well. Uh, she, we first went, um, we first went on a, on a skills course, uh, which was really, really useful. And like, I recommend it to everyone. You can't do them enough. Uh, once you've done an immediate, one, uh, intermediate one, do an intermediate one four times. Like it's yeah. always and refresh all the time. It's always fun, and you always learn something, and you always polish it. So luckily, she did that, which. Um, took away a lot of the fear for her and i think a lot of skills with this sort of stuff and off-road riding like 90 percent of being better at it is is just is just getting the fear away you know yeah. as soon as that, that mental thing happens then then it's easy yeah. it's not all about skill because if you're so, if you're scared man you you ride so terribly so timid you totally. you're not smooth you brake too fast you accelerate too fast yeah um, when you're scared you it's you can see it's easy to spot yeah. when people are scared Exactly, really you just stiffen up and that's the end. So, so Meg learned about that. And then on the trip as well, one thing that happened, and it happened a few times was, you know, when, when we got into an incredibly hard section, I mean, if it was a short little bit, like getting over some rocks or something and she was really struggling, I could help her with it. Mm. But if it's a long stretch of like thick sand, we did one right. really, really thick, 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 deep, soft sand in Baja for about 13 kilometers. And it was just, all the way just thick sand you know and um and eventually you know things break down to like i can't do this like in frustration and everything and when it like it sounds horrible but when it came down to it i like i just had to say to her well you're either riding it or you're gonna fucking live here because i, I can't i can't ride the whole i can't ride your bike for you no. you know and um, sometimes all of us need that sort of like I have to do it, you know? Yeah, you mentally I mean, you, have I mean, to you, overcome and you, yeah. you have to know it's a survival sort of place that you're in and you've got to push. You can do it. It's yeah. all up here. Just yeah. go do it and enjoy the food afterwards. Totally, man. And, and, you, and like you, you learn what you can do, you know? It's one of Meg's favorite sort of sayings is sometimes when you're scared, you just have to do it scared, you know? Uh, you just have to do it. So, so she learned a lot like that. And by the time we got back from the trip, she was she was amazing over this technical stuff. Mm. Amazing. And and on the trip, did did like um, like traveling in pairs? Like, uh, I would assume that like one person has one skill, the other one has other. Like, what were your skills that you brought to the team, and what yeah. were some of Meg's Meg's skills that she brought to the team? Yeah. So, it's it's actually a really good point. Eh? And um, one of the biggest learning curves for the trip is when you start to figure out what jobs everybody has, because you, you can't overlap. And every yeah. couple that travels, you'll hear from the same thing. It's like the guys got these jobs and the girls got these jobs and you don't, you don't, you don't get involved with each other's jobs. You know, like Meg's job was putting up the tent. Mine was doing the stretches. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I finished first. Don't even help her because she'll get angry. <laughs> you're, like, you're not doing it right. You just, this is taking too long. Just like, just leave me alone. You know, yeah. So you got jobs and um, you also learn skills on the road. So Megan became a very good photographer um, on the road. So photos were her things. Um, I did all the videos. So, and also, you know, she did the editing of the photos. I did the editing of the right. video. So you pick up those skills. Um, I did all the writing. So, um, you know, you develop as a writer. Um, I did the mechanics on the bike. So I fixed the, you know, serviced them and sorted out problems. 
um, and borders were, were Meg's thing. So Meg did all the borders. I would screw up a border. I'm not allowed, uh, like me and paperwork, it doesn't work. I don't get, to, it takes me 10 times longer, you know, like a girl yeah. going through a border who knows what's going on will get through super, super quick. Uh, she's got so, all the red, like the labels colored. Yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I bat the eyelashes and, you know, yeah. things go quickly. And so, you know, that was her deal. And I was, I would like guard the bikes, you know. Okay. <laughs> So to this and, day, I'm terrible with borders. I, I don't know what's going on. I, I, like, I'm, I'm usually pretty good with them now. I mean, luckily where we've gone, it's, it's never been too intense. Uh, I just know, um, I kind of go in and I think, okay, cool. It's going to take a couple hours. Um, yeah. it's, I, I get terrible anxiety when I see a big line, but I, I, I just know that that's part of the process. And I, I think I saw an interview from, I think it was Henry Cruz interview, um, that when he was consulting before his trip with Charlie Borman, Charlie said, look, yeah. just bank on um, a border post taking a day. That's if you exactly do that, the way to do it. You, you will have no problems. You won't have um, uh, expectations that aren't managed properly. Um, and then, you know, like if you get out in half a day, well, cool. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's, what, exa that's exactly it, man. You just go, go there with some snacks. You know, yeah. like when oh. I used to smoke, go there with a full pack of cigarettes yeah. and just just relax. It's going to yeah. take the whole day. You know, yeah. that's the way you approach it. Yeah, that, that, that is what I need at, at borders and like uh, places that give me anxiety. I just need to make sure I've got some snacks. As long as I'm fed, I can manage it quite well. Oh, but if man. I'm hungry, going through a stressful situation, everyone around me is screwed. Are you speaking my language, man. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> when you're hungry... It's the, it's, it's terrible. Megan calls him, she carries snacks for me and she calls them hand grenades <laughs> when I'm hangry. I like terrible. that. <laughs> yeah. That's why I keep snacks in my truck, like in the center console. Yeah. <laughs> like a bag of almonds and like apricots there, just in case. Like yeah. I, I need food. I know it's like, it's close. It's um, terrible. Yeah. So it's and, <laughs> and Matt, like what was your, from the trip, what was, something like sort of your biggest takeaway from the trip of like what you learned through these couple years of traveling the world? Um, she said, I mean, one takeaway thing is difficult, but um, a few things that I learned was um, for me, uh, the whole purpose of life and the meaning of life is to have as much fun as possible. And it's literally for me, it's, it's no more complicated than that. It's just, we're here to have fun. And um, that was the most fun I've ever had. And it was, it was just the best. Um, another one is that people are generally good. So we, you, you can bank on most people being good. So yeah. yeah, we got helped out by so many friendly people and it changed my you know, perspective on, on um, being a more open person as well. Um, and also the last one, it's so important is that a, a plan can always be made like a solution will yeah. present itself. It's just don't panic, wait it out. It'll work itself out like yeah. always, you know, yeah. and don't, don't get stressed, you know? So mm. like when the, when a bike breaks down the first, the first thing you do when you stop on the side of the road, is take off all your shit, put on a hat, you know, take out a drink of water or something and just chill yeah. out and approach it timelessly, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the thing. It'll work yeah. its way. It's that, work that, itself that's taken me years to, to figure that out. Yeah. Um, like I remember this one time, Alan and I went to Durban, uh, I think it was like four or five years ago and um, was riding my Harley. Uh, it was dark and my throttle cable fucked out and I had no more gas and I just see Al passing me and I'm like, Oh, flashing lights, honking horn. I'm like, Oh no, I'm so screwed. Like <laughs> and my phone was dying. Like I was like, Oh my God, I'm never going to find my friend again. But like eventually he turned around and we made a plan on the side of the road and we went to a friend's house and made another plan there. And like eventually it got sorted up, but it has taken me years to be comfortable, be more comfortable in those situations. I'm still not fully comfortable, but yeah. that's also why I travel with people like you on, on our trips, because I have people that can help 
like you said, with you and Meg on the trip, you're like, cool, yeah. you've got the sleeping bag or you've got the tent. I've yeah. got the, the mattress pad. Cool. I'll take photos. You guys yeah. go sort that shit out. If, if you got a problem, I'm going to come take photos of you fixing that problem. But don't expect me to change or help you. No. Like, I want to document the stress that you have on, in your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Like, like Al just said here, what they, what they ended up doing was with my throttle cable, they put in a chocolate block, I think is what they call it, for electric yeah. or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dude, that stayed on my bike for over a month, possibly even two months before I got that fixed. And it was yeah, solid. Dude, like, I can it believe it, man. There are, there are quick fixes that I did to my bike in like chili that are still on my bike. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. I'm not changing it. It's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with it. <laughs> if it breaks, I'll fix it then. <laughs> and um, Matt, um, I've got a few more questions from people on here, and I see sure. one um, that says, uh, what are the bare minimum things uh, a person should know how to fix on their motorcycle? Um, the most important is a tire. Okay. So whether you have tubed or tubeless, and even if you have tubeless, how to put in a tube, um, know how, where your, your battery terminals are, so how to jumpstart mm -hmm. your bike. Right. Um, and you know what if you're traveling in a group one of the one of the best best things to know how to do is to tow or be towed yeah and, and have a tow rope because yeah. towing bike to bike you need to practice that you need to know yeah. how, how to do it and it saved us many times i learned it's I, my fault normally i learned um when i was in india i learned um I, well i watched lowry tie the knots like i'm good at knots but he's yeah. much better so i left it up to him so i learned sort of the distance to keep with people when you're towing someone and then before that we um zubin ran out of fuel and we he, we were like two k's from the garage and he's like dude just put your foot on my foot peg and push me and i'm like are you fucking kidding me and like, <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay and then it clicked in my head and i was like okay cool i think i can do this yeah, and we spent I spent about two, two to three hundred meters figuring the feel out, and exactly. then eventually, dude, I put it in second gear and pushed it. We were going around turns up a bridge, yeah. like okay, cool. So now, I now know those secrets or like those those helpful pieces of information. If if a bike breaks down, I, I'm, I'm yeah. very confident to push someone, um, yeah. and have a tow rope because those problems do happen. I actually. So have a no it's not here it's in the truck um i was given straps uh bike straps from scott when he was in town he left like a bag of stuff with me oh. and these stretched ones that um you can actually tow a bike with yeah um, it's, it's and it's really, really important good. to know that you've got a tow rope that can tow bikes it's not just like yeah. any tow rope so it needs to have two loops like a loop at either end that fits over your foot peg and you got to know which foot peg to put it on, on, on which mm. bike, like, you know, like the, the front one needs to, the front bike needs to be on your left because otherwise you're overlapping your brake lever. Okay. The toe oh, rope, you know? so, so it's something, it's something to practice, but it's very useful. Yeah. Meg is, Meg became so good of it just because of me buggering yeah. things up. She good. towed me from, it was on route 66 back into Vegas, about 130 kilometers. She towed me on the highway. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so at um, night. So she's so she's very, very good at it, yeah. Yeah, well that's it's it's easy on a highway. You're like, okay, cool, we can tow me on a highway, no problem. Just keep a constant speed. You don't have to yeah. worry about anything else. Um yeah. that's a good place to be. And um Matt, so how long have you been back how long have you guys been back from your trip? It's um I mean it's been a good while. Uh we got back the end of 2016 i think it was okay. november 2016 so it's it's yeah. been a fair amount of time yeah wow and yeah. um like i know you you recently had another kid so you've got two yeah. kids now two. and is there a plan um for the near future for you guys to go on a big trip definitely so i mean for the moment, um, you know, we got into the whole four by four thing. So with kids, it obviously just makes sense as well. And it's also just a different way to travel and a different way to appreciate things, you know. So especially in Africa, um, as fun as touring on a bike is, um, overlanding in a car 
and a four by four actually makes a lot more sense in Africa because there's a lot, a lot of places you can't get into on a bike because you're not allowed in there. You know, right. so a lot of the game reserves you're not allowed in. So we've been doing that in Africa. We've got a trip planned as soon as the small ones old enough. We're going up to uh, Uganda and back. Um, oh, cool. And then when they're big enough to go in a sidecar, we would like to do two two bikes each with a sidecar and then do Europe to Magadan. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And um, out of out of the places that you went during the trip, um, what were your favorite places that you'd like to go back? And were there any places that you went to that you went back to outside of Africa? Okay. So uh, outside of Africa. Yeah. Okay. So um, the best, if you want to ride an adventure bike, the best place that I've been to to ride an adventure bike, and I've heard this from so many people who really know what they're doing, uh, is Peru. If you're gonna if you're gonna travel on an adventure bike in one country in the world, go to Peru. Yeah. It is absolutely incredible, and with every kind of terrain, it's huge, it's vast, it's got history, it's amazing. Um, one place that I would definitely go back to um, is probably probably Colombia, or okay. Colombia is fantastic, or Mexico <coughs> as well. Mexico has got also Maybe just so I'll... much potential. You can travel there for years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The um, Peru, we, when we were there, we were in SUVs or in discoveries and we just kept saying, no, we need to come back yeah. here on a bike. Yeah. And like you said, there is, there is so much terrain. Dude, um, there is so much oh. to do there. It's just oh, it's incredible. Crazy. And also, also the other, the other place that I'd really need to spend more time on a motorbike is the States. Yeah. Really. Because yeah. you can, tra it's just also so vast and every state is like a different country. It was just, sure. we loved it so much. Like we yeah. need to finish it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, Matt, we, uh, we've only got a few minutes left on the show. Cool. Um, dude, thanks so much for joining us. It was really cool to hear yeah, these stories and like yeah. get to know more about the trip and, and what you guys have coming up. Um, yeah. Everyone, thanks for joining on the show tonight. Uh, like I said in the beginning, we have uh, on Wednesday night, we've got Henry Crew. So he is the, the youngest person in the world to circumnavigate the world. And uh, on Friday night, we have Cam Elkins from Stories of Bike. Uh, you can go onto his YouTube channel. He does some really amazing videos and sort of short documentaries of people. And that's our week. Um, you can catch this podcast or this show with Matt on our Apple podcast, I believe, tomorrow. We seem to, they seem to be uploading within the day, um, but if not, it's, it's there on Wednesday. So you can go to Bonafide Moto Co. and click on the Bonafide Moto Show, and you can see everyone that we've had on the show. For those that we've recorded, you can check out their podcast and give a listen. Matt, I love you, bro. It's Thanks, man. You too, Joe. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for having us. And grow your beard back after Corona. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry, dude. That's a I know, it's, it's so embarrassing. Yeah, safety first. All right, man. Okay, cheers, cheers everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you.